0: Uh, appreciate having you guys with us. We have started a series called signs of greatness last week We started that we launched into it with this simple study. Lord, what does it mean to believe in you? How do I lean on you with my whole weight? That's the definition of uh, belief. We went after last week lean on you with my whole weight What's that work like? What's that look like and we're now going to walk through uh, seven miracles in the gospel of John seven miracles and John says hey these signs were recorded That you might believe Like that's what it's all about lord help me To get deeper and stronger and richer and more firm in my belief of you And let's just dive into these seven miracles So today we're going to be going into the first miracle learning about him there So turn with me if you will to john chapter 2 verses 1 through 12 John 2 1 through 12 we got the ushers coming forward and they've got uh, bibles in their hands So if you need a bible, just raise your hand. They'll get one to you. Okay Just raise your hand, they'll get one to you. We're going to walk through this verse by verse, all right? Miracle by miracle, Lord, help me to learn what I need to know that I might believe on you, all right? Help me to know what I need to know that I might believe on you, that I might put my whole weight... Into you. That's what this is all about. All right Now if you notice these are each going to be stories We're going to be walking through the gospel of john So just so you know, we're going to do it a little differently here as to how we break it down We're going to go through it first as the story And then after that we're going to go through it as the sign Okay, he said this is a sign and what does that mean when he says it's a sign? Well, I'll tell you what it doesn't mean is this It's not just some wow moment It's not just some miracle And then you go, well, that was cool you know like uh, David Copperfield out on the street performing a magic trick. It's not that it's something more than that There's a sign that's attached. There's a statement about Jesus Christ his power his authority his ministry and lord Help us learn that sign as well that we might know you trust in you all the more Okay, so we're gonna go through it as the story and then the sign each week. All right, so here we go Let's get started the story Let's get the details, okay? The story, get the details. So that's the first point there. The story, get the details. And then underneath it right away, submit. Jesus humbly remains under God, the Father's will, and we must remain under his. Submit. Jesus humbly remains under God, the Father's will, and we must remain under his. Okay, so if you notice there's going to be a 1a and a 1b now we're getting all sophisticated in our outline. All right All right I don't know why that's important to me, but it is All right, here we go Submission so let's just look through this passage on the third day There was a wedding at cana in galilee and the mother of jesus was there Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples When the wine ran out the mother of jesus said to him they have no wine and Jesus said to her woman What does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come His mother said to the servants do whatever he tells you Okay, as we walk through this we're gonna just uh, piece it out figure out what it says here But just so we're clear John is terse. He's very direct. He's not big flamboyant story He just sort of says what it is and let's get it on. Okay, and so he's very uh, simple in the storyline on the third day so uh, this is a little bit unclear as to what it means. Probably it means three days after he met with Philip and Nathanael. That's what happens in the passage right before it, okay? Most likely it means three days after that. So on the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee. A wedding. In other words, there was a party. There was a big celebration going on, okay? That's what a, a wedding is, especially in the Jewish culture, but really in any culture. It's a great celebration of two people coming together and celebrating their love for one another. Let's just go through a few things about the jewish wedding though. Make sure you grasp this. Okay, so jewish culture and jewish wedding. Here we go first of all uh, It was a huge Party, it was a huge party. It was a party so huge that the people who were getting married didn't have the ability to run it themselves So in fact, they would have other people run it. There was somebody basically called the master of ceremonies He would run that okay and this guy's job for a week was to make sure this party went well There were servants assigned to him as well And his job as a master was to make sure these servants took care of everybody and everything all around the place So that the wedding was phenomenal. Okay, so This huge party masters servants What time of the week was it? Well, believe it or not, they actually had this very tightly scheduled on Wednesdays Those who were uh, virgins getting married got married so, Wednesday was virgin marriage. Thursday was a widow marriage or a remarriage in some way. Okay? So, basically, by the day of the week, you knew what was going on in the family life there. But, um, so, Wednesdays. This was a Wednesday then by the way things were stated. And so, three days earlier, you know, they met Philip and Nathaniel three days before Wednesday. Okay? So, it says, uh, basically, uh, I copied this out of a commentary. In a very poor environment... Which is what they were working in in a very poor environment They were tended to be very strong hard workers and 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 this hard-working poor environment left them often Kind of devastated emotionally And, and so the way they wrestled with it The way they took care of it was one of them was the wedding Allowed for that couple to be treated as king and queen for a week like literally they basically made little crowns for them and they put those crowns on they wore bridal robes And they walked around somewhat like royalty for the week And everybody's job was to basically help them have an awesome week Okay, and can kind of anything you wanted in any way you wanted it and let's make sure that you're celebrated and your love is celebrated The wedding it was a huge party time Seven days long. I've said it a couple times over seven days. What do you do for a seven-day party? Okay, so here's how it goes down. Day one is the ceremony. So there's this really uh, meaningful, touching ceremony. It's got religious elements to it. It's got some quoting to it and some interaction together. Uh, after they're married in the ceremony, they then do a processional throughout all of the streets. Okay, they walk through the whole town. There's this big parade, this line of people following them. And there's this huge celebration that they're now married. Uh, this past week, we actually went to uh, Springfield. It was our um, spring break for our kids, and so we went down to Springfield for a day there and uh, went over to Abraham Lincoln's house and stuff like that. And one of the things they showed there was, like, after he had won the presidential election, he went all through the town, and there was this huge celebration. After he passed away and they did his funeral down there, they basically walked that funeral procession throughout the whole town. The town rallies around their people, and that's what this was about as well. When they're getting married, the town's like, this is awesome, and we're with you in this, and we celebrate with you, and some will get in line and walk the parade, and others just get along the parade route, okay? Huge celebration. So that's day one. The other six days, they then go into open house mode. Can you imagine keeping your house clean for six straight days for open house mode? So that's what's going on. They do six straight days of open house. And they've got people coming in and out for food and drink throughout the whole course of that time. And basically, people come back repeatedly for the party, for the celebration. And they're just hanging out and talking together as they spend a week-long joy fest. Okay? That's the wedding. So when it says, on the third day, there was a wedding at Cana, we can now all go, Oh, are you ready? I mean, for real. You ready? (laughs) On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana. Yeah, big joy fest going on. All right. And the mother of Jesus was there. Somehow she was invited to this, probably a family member or a close friend. Okay. And it says Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. He got like a Jesus and guests invite. You know what I mean? And so he came with his disciples, Jesus and uh, Mary, somehow probably a close family friend or even a relative since both of them were invited. And they're at this party together. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Okay, when the wine ran out. Now remember, we talked about this being a giant joy fest. Hospitality was more than just something nice you did. Hospitality was this sacred ritual, this sacred responsibility That you had to take care of those that would show up at your house. And if you're going to do a wedding that is seven days long and you're going to have people coming in and out of the house, you must provide. Okay. This is not just a, Oh, bummer. It's not like Mary went up and you know, she goes to the wine dispenser thing and it's like empty and she's tipping it over. And she's like, Hey, just so somebody knows this is empty. Like that's not what's going on. Okay. This is a huge deal happening. She's like, just so you know, They're about to be disgraced. Humility is really going to come into play here. They are going to be humiliated if we don't get on this fast. There's a big problem going on, and their ability to provide is not there. The bride and groom, they don't have money to be going out and just buying more. They've run out of wine. Major problem. Mary sees this major problem, and who does she go to? She goes to Jesus Like Mary's got some insight to the power and authority that Christ has and we don't know what the life was like for Mary and Jesus growing up We've seen little snapshots in the Gospels, right? Just a little snippet here and then ten years later a snippet there and and we don't see a whole lot I can't imagine what life was like with Christ as your brother Right He's always so much better than me Right. Why can't you be more like Jesus? Right. I mean, can you imagine what went on in that household? The things that they were discussed, I don't know what was going on, but somehow Mary became very aware of his authority and his ability of his power. And she went to him and said, they're out of wine, son. They're out of wine. We've got a major problem and I'm coming to you with it. Okay. Jesus' response. Jesus' response is, woman, what does this have to do with me? Okay, let's deal with this for a moment. Uh, wow, uh, that seems a little rough. Like Jesus, you're dissing on your mother. What are you doing? Right? And, and so what is happening here? And well, one thing we need to be very aware of is this phrase that he used in the Greek is actually used very regularly and very often. It's kind of a colloquial phrase. It's a phrase that is... Um, not as disrespectful as it sounds in our culture. So the best quote I found in the commentaries, it goes like this. You know, this is a great word-by-word translation. It captures the words. It doesn't capture the tone, okay? And we have to be really careful with that. The tone in this one is still contains respect. It's a very colloquial phrasing that effectively is saying, there's something going on that's bigger than what you see, and, and work with me on this, Okay. There's that essence to the tone maybe a little better way to say it. I wrote this down This will work better in our culture. You ready Respected female in my life Uh, That's actually true when they said woman it didn't wasn't the diss It wasn't the calling them out by gender only woman. It wasn't that it was a very respectful statement Okay, so respected female in my life Don't worry you're not quite grasping what's going on fully here. I, I have it all in hand. That's really what's meant by that phrasing. And unfortunately, it doesn't come across in our language. And so these are moments where a very literal translation of scripture takes a little bit of being a student to be able to grasp what's really going on. Otherwise, we go home and we're deciding to be extremely disrespectful to our moms. Kids don't say woman when you go home today, okay? You don't live in a Jewish culture. You live in the american culture and so let's be respectful. Let's be responsive nonetheless in grasping what god's doing Now he says woman. What does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come My hour has not yet come Jesus is very aware of what's going on. He knows why he's there. He knows what his responsibility is He knows where it's taking him. My hour has not yet come which hour Some would say I think maybe this is the hour where like he becomes more famous This is the hour where people start to know him more. Maybe this is the hour where they're like, um, they're, they're with him within some kind of parade or triumphal procession, maybe. Or no, that's not the hour he's talking about. The hour he's talking about is the crucifixion and resurrection. That's what he's talking about. The crucifixion and resurrection. Well, how do you know that, Tim? Well, I just wrote this down. There's uh, three other places where he uses the same phrasing: "This hour not yet come" or "This hour has come." And that's in uh, John chapter seven verse thirty, John chapter eight verse twenty, and then John chapter thirteen verse one. So seven thirty, eight twenty, and thirteen one. And in thirteen one, he's actually saying, "My hour has now come," and it's right before the Passover, right before the crucifixion and resurrection. That's what he's talking about Look, he wasn't jesus christ did not come to this earth to just hang out with his creation a little bit To to have a really nice meal or two here and there to have a good laugh Hit a good joy fest or two here and there and and then really get a little bit disrespected along the way But at least he got to know some people better like that's not why jesus came to this earth Why did jesus come? jesus christ god almighty taking on flesh philippians chapter 2 for you and for me because we Cannot make the replacement payment ourselves alone. We come up short. Come up short in what way? Well, God is holy and righteous. And we're not. And our lack of holiness, even just a little bit of lack of holiness, is a complete miss. We're told that we come up short. And the, the payment for that is eternal separation from God. Eternal separation from our God. Jesus Christ comes to this earth to make a replacement payment available for us his shed blood for us That's what our Christ is all about. That's the good news of the gospel message Why do we worship this Jesus Christ so much because he as creator and sustainer and provider is also the ultimate example of loving Sacrifice reaching into our lives. There is no greater relationship than knowing our King personally as his shed blood covers for us. Lord, please forgive me as I've gone my own way and use your shed blood to replace what I owe. I'm yours. You're my God. Salvation. That hour has not yet come. So that's what he's saying. The cross is everything. In other words, Look, if we make too big a deal out of what's going on here at this party, word spreads too fast, things go too quickly, and it's not time for me to be on a cross, and I'm telling you that's where it's headed. And so as things get more public, that's where we're going, and it's not time yet. Now, Jesus wasn't saying, I refuse to do anything, but he was absolutely saying, I refuse to make this a big public display. Mary, catching Jesus' authority, And catching Jesus' drift, as he's made himself clear here, responds, Mary's response. Servants, do whatever he tells you to do. Now, if you notice, there's a lot in this phrase, do whatever he tells you to do. She's basically saying, first of all, somehow she has responsibility. She's talking to the servants and telling them what to do. So we're not exactly sure what her connection here is, but she's been in some way, shape, or form brought on as sort of a wedding coordinator of sorts. You know what I'm saying? And so she's working with the servants, and so she gives them a guideline. You need to follow what he's saying. Notice what she does not say. Look, I want him to create wine from nothing. And I'm his mother, just a minute. Don't you talk to me that way, young man. You go make that wine. All right, now you go get the wine from him. Do you hear? It's not that authoritative, right? What Mary says is, look, you just do whatever he tells you to do. Jesus is saying, bring it down. And she says, okay, you do what you need to do. I'm trusting the problem to you. You manage this, but I am ready to see whatever you have to accomplish. Servants, just follow him. There's some humility in that. How often when we come before a problem in our lives do we actually bring the solution to god not the problem Know what i'm saying? We walk in and we're like dear lord Here's the fix Because i'm not sure if you could handle it alone. So here's the fix, right? That's the implication Somehow you're god of the universe, but I have to tell you how to fix this problem in my life And and so we bring the solution when really we should be saying lord. I'm not sure exactly what's going on Here's how I perceive the problem And I'm not exactly sure what the best fix is, but whatever you want done, I trust in you. Do you hear Mary laying it over? That's what it's all about. He has this. Like, he's got it under control. He has this. That's what we need to be saying as we're wrestling through our life problems. He has this. Go ahead and say it with me. He has this. Again, he has this. Hey, that's what we're talking about. When we wrestle with problems in our lives... It's Lord, I'm coming to you because you have this and I'm trusting you and I'm depending on you and I'm leaning on you humbly. God, the father and Jesus Christ, you've got it. If we just go back and we look at that first section, note the submission going on. Jesus Christ, my hour not yet come. Hey, God, the father, he's got a will. He's got a plan. He's got timing and I'm hanging on for that. There's some things we can do, but they're not going to be big and grandiose. They'll fix the problem, but we're going to do it in another way. My father's timing matters and humbly Mary. Like I hear what you're saying. And, and, and so he'll, whatever he says, just there you go. We got the solution and I'm trusting you and I'm stepping out of this thing. I'm done. He'll take care of it from here. Trusting. Humbly. In the midst of our problems. So here's my question for you. Where are you struggling? What's God got you going through? Where you're wrestling. With either the positives or the negatives of what's going on. And and Lord, I've got some questions for you. and And I want to bring some thoughts to you. And look, it's not wrong for us to pray that something might be done specifically on the solution side. But know this Jesus Christ's example, but not my will be done. Lord, may your will be done. Humbly put yourself in his hands. He has this. So get your problem in mind. What is it? Where are you struggling? We all have those things that distract us. You got it? Now picture yourself literally handing it to him open-handed and watching him do something with it. Lord, I'm trusting you. You've got this. Submission. That's the first thing we learn in this story. Second, 1B, if you will. Worship. Jesus has power over the physical to transform it as he wills. Worship. Jesus has power over the physical world to transform it as he wills. All right. We'll start in verse 6 here. It says, Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Okay, John is being very specific all of a sudden, right? So now he's helping us out. He's saying, he didn't say, there were some jars in the corner, or, or Jesus just got some water from somewhere. There were six water jars, not five, not seven, not eight, six. There were six water jars. And these stone jars were for the purification rites in the Jewish ritual. Each of them could hold 20 to 30 gallons. So somewhere between 120 and 180 gallons of able water carrying. Okay. And so what does it mean that we have purification jars? What do they do with that? Let's make sure we grasp this culturally as well. Okay. So in every Jewish meal, they made sure they went through purification rites between every course of the meal. Every meal, every course of the meal, for every person at the Joy Fest, purification. Okay, and so part of it was you raise your hand in the air, and they would actually pour some water down your hand, and it would run down your arm. It's kind of taking the, the dirt off of your hand and running it down your arm, and actually cleaning your arm as well. And then you would turn your arm down, and they would pour it on the arm, and it would run down your hand and drip off. And then they would pour it into your hands, and you would cup your hands and, and then do this. And then you're you've kind of gone through the ritualistic purifying, okay? Between each course of the meal. That's a lot of water all week long, okay? And so they grab these six water jars, and Jesus says to them, Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. Fill the jars with water. Can you imagine that moment? Mary comes in and she's like, All right, we're short on wine. We need some wine. Jesus gives his response, which we've already talked about a little bit. Jesus gives his response, right? And the servants are watching this. And then Mary looks at him and says, he'll take care of it. And he's like, go put water in the jars. Dude, did you hear what the problem is? We're not short on purification water. We're short on wine, right? And that, you, that's got to be running through their heads. And at the same time, it's not recorded that they actually resist or go against. It says, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. Obedience. They followed through. Can you imagine the whole time they're filling them? What in the world are we doing this thing for? (laughs) Wine, man. Wine. Not water. Wine, man. Right? There's got to be a questioning going on in your head as you're working through this. And something we didn't say is the water that they would tend to use for purification was usually not drinkable water. It was usually water that if you did drink, you'd get a lot of stomach problems from. So it was a water that could get the dirt off your hands, but not a water you wanted to put into your stomach, all right? And so now they're putting water in the jars to fix the wine problem, water you shouldn't even be drinking, right? They're pouring it all the way up to the brim. Why does it say that? Not in any way there was any wine put into this thing. It was just water in the jars, okay? So Jesus says, fill the jars with water. They filled them to the brim. And he said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. Seriously? You want me to take this to him? Yes. Why? Why? Like, is he actually that drunk that he's going to perceive this as wine? Like, wow, this is just really kind of watered down. But okay, it's kind of the end of the week, whatever, you know. Is that what's going to happen? So they scoop it out. And I have no idea if there began to be this trust that started forming in them at that point or if they were thinking a little differently about him the whole time. But as they scooped it up and were walking towards the master, notice what it says. It says... Draw draw some out, take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, and it goes on from there, we'll pick it up in just a second, it turned to wine while they were walking. We don't know when exactly. All we know is they scooped it out, and they're walking with these ladles, carrying it, holding it, and all of a sudden, it's wine. And I don't know if they saw it as they're walking. You know, they're looking back. This is ridiculous. I can't believe it. Holy moly, look down. Do you know what I mean? Like something had to happen at some point where you're like, that's wine now, man. Hang on. That's wine, man. Right? Something had to happen along the way where this all of a sudden becomes an amazing miracle to them. And the master is just grasping that they got some really nice wine. That's all he grasps. It says... So they took it when the master of the feast tasted the water now become wine, did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, right? They're the ones who carried it there. The master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Ready? Everyone serves the good wine first. And when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you, you have kept the good wine until now. See, what Jesus actually did was bring honor on the bride and groom. In the midst of this miracle and, and, and the turning of water, which is actually kind of grungy water, into miracle wine and great wine at that, there was this honor bestowed upon the groom as he's now breaking out the best of the best. At a point where people have already drunk wine and there's several days of it going on where they've had a drink here and there and... and um, You know, we're not talking about excess to drink, to drunkenness, but they're drinking throughout the week. And there's a point where you end up saying, hey, this is fine, whatever. This is hard to continue to provide. We get it. And, And all of a sudden, out comes the best of the best. An honor to the bride and groom. Notice it doesn't say anything about the bride and groom's response. I always thought that was interesting. You've kept the good wine until now. And then John just stops there. This is the first of his signs. Jesus did at Cana and Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. Result when Jesus does this transforming work in our lives. Result is his glory is shown. The miracle working glory of God that transforms one substance to another. Unbelievable. God's almighty glory. We begin to believe. As we experience transformation, we experience more and more strength in our belief. And that's a lot of what's going on here. This one of these signs, it's a power sign for us of seeing our God as a transforming God. It's an amazing story of subtle miracle. You know, we have a chance to worship God and all that he's doing in our lives. God is at work in your life god is at work in my life that's fact and so am i seeing it lord where are you at work and and are we like the master where we're like i didn't even know anything changed i just knew it was good wine and all of a sudden wow look how great Or are we like the servants? Oh no, dude, I saw that thing from water to wine. I've seen the miracle. Like, let's really watch God's timing in our lives and and the things God does to use circumstances and the changes in me as I'm beginning to become more like Him. As we trust in Him as our Savior, God transforms. May we look for that. May we seek for the evidences of God's glory working in my life. And worship him for that. May we be like the disciples and the servants who saw God and were transformed by it. You know, Corey Ten Boom, uh, we've heard of the story of Corey, And she actually has a sister, Betsy. Uh, and Betsy Ten Boom was um, in prison along with Corey, And uh, in the concentration camps, wrestling with things, Betsy was actually probably, uh, as per Corey's statement, a better worshiper. Betsy knew how to look at the little things of life and see God moving, and and she had one example of this. Um, she was talking with Betsy one time, and and um, there was a a serious problem going on in the concentration camp, uh, with fleas, with fleas, and these fleas were actually all over in the sleeping quarters and in the living quarters where they were at, and and it was horrible. I mean, nasty, biting horribly irritating fleas. I mean, it got so, so bad that, I mean, everybody was constantly distracted by these fleas, okay? But at the same time, Betsy kept this strong, power, passionate worship thing going between her and God. And as she had this worship time going, people were like, what's up with you? How can you be so happy in the midst of this? And she was able to share what was her hope that was allowing her to shine In a nasty, nasty world. And as she shared her hope, they started doing Bible studies. And as they did these Bible studies and talked together, people were accepting Christ as Savior. And people all over the place were coming to Christ. One day she was walking with Corey and she said, You know what, Corey? I just bless God. I praise God for those fleas. And she's like, What? Are you nuts? I mean, those things are horrible. That is ridiculous. Now I'm challenging you. And she said, no, no, no. Think about it. Because of those fleas being so bad, the guards wouldn't come near the sleeping quarters. And because they wouldn't come near the sleeping quarters, we had a chance to beam forth the greatness of our God. We could go into his word every single day. People's lives changed for eternity. Praise God for those fleas. Wow. I mean, you think about that. Now we put ourselves back into our life. Lord, what are you doing? And where are you working? That you might get the greater glory. May I see your hand moving and be open. May I respond to the provision you're making. That you might be worshipped as almighty God in my life. Lord, you are my king. Worship him. Because of his work in your life. Hey, we have problems. Do me a favor and consider right now. What's something God's doing. Where his hand of provision is moving. And you can clearly see him doing something. You may not even know what yet. What is that? Got it? Man, let's worship him for everything he's doing in our lives. Everything he allows and everything he brings. God is working amen hey he has this amen Amen. hey he has this lord i'm trusting you and i'm worshiping you with all i've got okay that's the story as we go through this passage that's what we can grab from it and there's a number of other things we could actually make observations on but lord may we submit and, and and lord may we worship you and So signs, what are some signs that we can pull out of this? What is true about the big picture? So the sign, get the big picture, okay? The sign, get the big picture. Note this, it says that his glory was manifested. His glory was manifested. In other words, the otherness and the greatness and the power of God were shown. Well, how is that true? Hey, this was more than just a wow moment. This was more than just one of those miracles on the street where people are like, did you see that? "Eh, Whatever, let's go home. Like, it's not that there was more going on. There was some sign taking place. There was some indications taking place. And what is it? So three messages about his glory that we could pull out of this. Some signs, okay? First message of his glory. His glory is attached to the word joyous joyous. Jesus was happy to celebrate. He loved being with people and still loves being with people. Jesus at a seven day party at a joy fest. He's hanging out. He didn't. He's not like, I'm sorry. I appreciate the invite of me and my many guests. Right. But I'm not going to be available for that wedding. I have serious ministry to do. Like that's not where Jesus is at. He's like, I love people and I love being with people and I'm going to be at that party and his glory is often attached to events that have great joy in them. Joyousness, okay? Number two, very purposeful. His glory, extremely purposeful. God is not whimsical. God is not like, ah, I never thought of that. Why not? We'll do that. Sure, why not? That's not who God is. God is extremely purposeful in what's going on. And you notice Jesus says, this is not my hour. The hour's not yet come. Like, God's got a plan, and I know the Father's will, and this isn't it, and I'm going to stick with it. And, Lord, I trust your purpose and purposeful glory, joyous glory. And then here comes the big one, transforming glory. Transforming glory. The sign that we're supposed to grab here is that Jesus has the power to transform In a joyous way, in a purposeful way, Jesus has the power to transform. Yeah, water into wine here, right? One substance into another, right? The yuck water into this fabulous wine. Jesus transforming from one substance to another just by him willing it to happen. He takes what is and he makes it better. The transforming power of Jesus Christ. You know, I just wrote down a few statements, a few biblical passages on transforming. 2 Corinthians 5.17. 2 Corinthians 5.17. If we trust in him as our savior, if we say, Lord, I'm with you, you're my God, please use your shed blood to replace what I owe, you're my king. If we lean on him, it says we become a new creation, a new creation. It's not that he made something out of nothing, but instead there's a transforming of old self to new self. There's a new creation involved. The whole being made new there in 2 Corinthians 5.17 and in 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we talk about this passage a lot, but it talks about the power of God transforming us from one degree of glory to the next. The whole of ourselves becoming more and more like Christ as we hang around his glory. God's glory changes us. God's glory changes us. Look at this passage. His manifested glory changes the water into wine. God's glory changes us from one degree of glory to another. What changes us? Yeah, God's glory. Man, we better grasp that. The change in my life is not significant effort on my part alone. It is God's glory changing me from one degree of glory to another. Second Corinthians 5:17, we're a new creation. Second Corinthians 3.18, God's transforming us from one degree of glory to another. Romans 12, too, God transforms our mind. Like the way we think becomes more pure more holy more supportive of him we get his ways and and we begin to have his passions we share him we love what he loves we hate what he hates and lord shape my mind shape my mind and then last one for transforming that i wrote down is philippians three twenty one says he transforms our body into a glorified body man is that going to be a day When we literally take on a glorified body to live with Jesus Christ for all of eternity, with the worship that we had this morning, like times 10 billion. You know what I'm saying? Power worship, tears streaming, almighty God celebrated for all of eternity, broken body done, completely his, completely perfect. God, may you be worshipped in my life. We serve a transforming God. Amen? Hey, we serve a God who's all about the transformation this water into wine It was like saying okay the ministry's about ready to begin And let me tell you something this ministry is all about transformation Get ready because my glory is going to take us from one thing to a completely other from the yuck to the Unbelievable welcome to the plan of transformation in my ministry the sign That jesus was showing as he did the first miracle. What an amazing privilege to see God work in our lives. What do we do with that? Well, let me just put it to you this way. You know, we talk about growing in Christ, and here's probably the biggest thing that bothers me about what happens in the church today. All right. So I'm going to get into a little rant session here for a second. All right. So the church today. We, uh, we create in the church a statement, and we said this last week, where we mentally assent to who God is. We, we, yeah, I get who God is, He's in charge. And then somehow it becomes all my moral effort after that. Everything is all about me trying hard to be better. I'm gonna try to look better, do better, be better, and where's that in scripture? You, you see, we actually stop preaching the gospel, and we only preach These statements after the fact as he's transforming us from one degree of glory to the next as if somehow we personally have the ability to get ourselves there And and so all of a sudden the church becomes nothing but a one giant frustration fest Not a joy fest We're living in a church where we walk out going. Oh, I gotta do this today And I gotta make sure this happens in my life and I gotta make sure that and and where really I thought it was god's glory that changed us and the beauty of the gospel message is that it's Christ in me, the hope of glory. Like he is a transforming God and he takes me from one degree of glory to another. I'm just asking you this right now. Are you experiencing change personally in your life? You don't have to answer out loud. Are you experiencing change personally right now? If the answer is no, Then we need to do something to stop blocking God's glory It's time for his glory to start pouring over me Hey, we've talked about it with the breathing statement, right with just The awesomeness of god coming in and inhaling his awesomeness and thanking him for who he is and Confessing any sin getting that stuff clear lord. I'm standing before you pure. May you be glorified in my life And in the midst of that all of a sudden we're clearly worshiping him his spirit pouring over us and change starts happening, little by little. But it's happening. His glory's pouring over you, and then we start getting into ourselves. And like within maybe an hour or a day or whatever, and we start drifting off, and we're like, "I'm awesome," and this is all about me. And I can't believe they talk to me about me that way. And how dare they? And all of a sudden, we're into me world again. And and things start to settle down. And Lord, may I constantly be coming back to You, just staying before You, fresh and pure and trusting in you, because your manifest glory transforms. Change me, Lord. I need you changing me, not me muscling it, so that on the outside it looks like something changed, but on the inside nothing's different. Are you hearing that? On the outside it looks like something's changed, but on the inside nothing's different. I read this this past week, sent it out to my staff. It was a revelation for me. Hey, when we try to change ourselves, what are the top two things we use? Answer. Pride and fear. Pride and fear. Really? I don't know if I buy that, Tim. Really think about it. I'm gonna make this happen. I'm gonna change it. Pride. Right? What if I don't? What if somebody catches that this is going on in me and they and I, what if God doesn't is he not happy with this and fear? Right and and pride and fear that's like the only thing we can bring to the table in and of ourselves And so here we try to take ourself pride and fear and manage change really And so the writer of this tim keller, he said basically that's about the thinnest foundation you could ever build to a building It's not that it doesn't work in the short term We can literally see a little bit of change in ourselves outwardly, but pride and fear also bring sin Like when we talk wrong and when we act wrong, it's because pride and fear are at the center. And so here we're using sin to try to get good behavior. And you might get a little of it for a short period of time, but it'll bring bad behavior as well. And so it's just a moment in time until it collapses. Because you're building a house of cards on self, pride, and fear. Lord, I'm willing to be before you completely innocent and clean. Celebrating. That you might change me from one degree of glory to the next. Your glory changing me. That's the plan. The gospel hope and the gospel message of a great God who can transform water into wine, who can transform my life into a new creation, who can transform my mind and renew it, who can literally bring me the hope of Christ eternal living within me, transforming my body for all eternity with him. My God transforms. Amen. He transforms. That's who we worship. That's who we praise. This first sign was like, just get ready. Because there's going to be some unbelievable transforming going on. And right now, you're the only few that know. That's what was happening in the water and wine miracle. We serve a great God. Amen. Let's worship him and submit to him and let him do the changing work in our life. Let's pray.